Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the NC Raw podcast. Coming up in a couple weeks, around June 12th, Caleb McCoy and Caitlin and myself are taking off for the Pacific Coast. We are we have a trip planned very similar to his Oklahoma run that he did last summer where he's going to be cycling and running the entire Pacific coast from Canada to Mexico. And we're going to be documenting that through NC Raw and Res Hope. So if that's something you guys would be interested in supporting, please reach out to Caleb and or myself through Facebook or social media, uh, find out how you can help us achieve that. We are asking for a little bit of support. So you can also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash NC raw contribute that way. Uh, we have some exciting stuff coming up over the summer. We're, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be like a six week trip and we're taking the show on the road. We're going to be podcasting every week from out there and documenting it visually for you guys. So be on the lookout for that as it's coming in the very near near future, right around the corner. So today's uh, episode, today's guest is Kelly Nicewanger. She's a peer support specialist here in Jackson County. Um, just an awesome girl, awesome perspective on recovery and life and the work that she does. I enjoyed the conversation. I would be lying to you guys if I didn't say that I was a little stressed it's a hectic time of the year for me. I was feeling like super overwhelmed and just a lot going on. Um, I'm sitting on campus right now uh, here Monday or what? No, Tuesday afternoon. I just, uh, just finished my last final exam of the semester. So the semester is like officially over for me. A big relief has been lifted. Um, feeling a lot better. It was just, just a whole lot of stuff going on. So if I was to be honest with you guys, I would say that this probably isn't my best work. Um, I just wasn't feeling it last night. I was, I was feeling bad. And so I hope that, um, Kelly's message and, you know, the things that she had to say was communicated well, cause I didn't feel like I was on my game. Kelly was on her game, but I wasn't on my game. So with all that being said, give some love to my girl, Miss Kelly Nicewanger. individual living the miracle standing divisible connected to god in my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal used to be a criminal living so minimal but things have changed in my life is going through different intervals finding that balance is significantly difficult timing is everything so my timing is critical rhyming is literal the unforgettable is why i stand before you impeccably so presentable i give respect to you know that i am respectable i've always wanted acceptance is that acceptable i am the rival expected to be exceptional and i'm a grown man handle business like a professional i am incredible leo conventional and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. 
Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Kelly. Yes. What's going on? <laughs> Nothing much. Just here. Just yeah. nervous. Thanks for coming over on a Monday night. Yes. Um, During the work, on, on a work week, on a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> all these people come over and uh, sit down and talk to me for a little bit. I'm stoked to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Known you for mm, five or six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, haven't had an opportunity to really sit down and, like, you know, talk with you. The first time I met you was at our Christmas party in this very room right here. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, had started or we were getting ready to start and you walked in. Uh, Bianca didn't tell me like y'all's relationship. She didn't tell me like any details whatsoever. <laughs> she just said like, hey, my friend might be coming or something like that. And then Kelly walked in and like, she was like shy and didn't really have much to say and kind of like sat and watched a little bit of the podcast. And, um... You know, we were just like rambling on for a couple hours and she you ended up bouncing. And then um, I got to see you at our Super Bowl party. Yes. And that's where the real true Kelly came out. I don't know if it was the sports that were on the game on TV or what it was. She felt more comfortable having already already met us. But she was like she was cracking me up that night. Yeah. I think it was A, I've already met you, and B, like I knew some of the other people there, and it was more like a laid back. I, I did, because when I came, Bianca like said, Hey, come do, the, come here. And I didn't really know what I was yeah. come here to either. Uh -huh. I was told it was free food, and I was like, I'll be there. Surprise, surprise, <sighs> surprise. The camera's on. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, I did not realize, like, I guess I knew, but I didn't realize y'all were going to be like doing like a podcast that night. So I was like, Oh, okay, I'm here. Yeah. The microphones are live. <laughs> come on. I was trying to get you to sit down at the I, I I was trying to get you to come and talk a little bit, wasn't I? I, I don't remember. I don't I don't remember. There was but it was I felt it was a good introduction, you know. because um, 'cause I've seen some of your stuff and had seen it on and was like, Oh, this is neat and it's here in town, which is different for us, you know. Most recovery things happen in Nashville. So. Limited resources out here in yes. uh, Jackson County. Um, yeah. so I have to say that, um, one of the coolest things that you've done, and it's probably like so simple to you. One of the coolest things that you've done is, uh, during my active addiction, I was like super involved and interested in like the March Madness college basketball tournament. And so like, like literally I was the guy that would take off, like the tournament starts on Thursday every year, like Thursday and Friday. And I was the guy that would like request those two days off. I would be at the sports bar at like 10 a.m. when the bar opened up and like sit there until two o'clock in the morning when all the games were done and have like five different brackets filled out. And so like, that was one of the things that was like, um, during my active use, like it, that particular part of the year like revolved around like drugs and alcohol and watching the games and so like since i've been in recovery like the last four years uh i haven't filled out a bracket <laughs> I, I totally haven't filled out a bracket and i just happened to see that kelly threw up a bracket little tournament challenge thing this yeah. past march and i got super excited about it uh it really really made my tournament 
by doing that. Though it wasn't uh, the outcome wasn't mm -hmm. what wasn't what anybody. Yeah, no, um, I did too, and yeah, no, it was which is interesting because it was my first year in a long time I had ever done one because I'm not a huge college basketball person. You're not. No. Okay. I see. I got the impression that you might be. No, because I grew up in South Carolina. And I'm a University of South Carolina fan, so I'm all about some college football and mm -hmm. some, like, sec football and, like, I'm college championships, all that, bowl games. Like, that's my thing. And this year, um, I don't know, we still started watching it, and I decided to just do one because we should do them in school. Like, mm -hmm. I had, I had one, of, one of my teachers was our coach, and he was real big in it, and he'd always get us to do one in his classes. And whoever got the closest – most points with it got something extra yeah. something. So like I had no one forever. I just wanted to do one just to say I thought it was going to be funny. And then like mine was completely like, I don't even think I had anybody that was in the, the, the final four and the yeah. final four. Like it was like bad. Like it, yeah. I got to like the elite eight and it was like, my bracket was like busted. I, uh, yeah, I pulled it up before you got oh, here did you? just to, just to check to see where, cause I kind of like once, once all the <laughs> upset started happening, I stopped like paying attention to my bracket and just watching the games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I only had one final four team left and you didn't have any. Yeah. It so, was just, but it was just, it was just a, one of those years. Yeah. That's what I thought was funny. Cause I was like, I think I saw that word. Like, I think the last time I saw like you had beat me cause you had won the final fours and I had nothing. I was like, Forget this. The, the one of us is gonna win is yeah. completely win. So I was like, just watch the games and stuff. And I, you know, it was really interesting because, like I said, I've never I played basketball in high school, but I never watched it. Yeah, like really, really never really got into watching it until like this year. Uh, it's like one of my earliest childhood memories. My pops would like we. Were, this is like pre-internet days. We would like cut the bracket out of the newspaper. Like we'd go the di the Monday after the brackets were released and we'd buy like four newspapers for the whole family. And we'd have to cut the bracket out of the newspaper and like the whole family would fill out our brackets and then we'd have to like tally it up, you know, with a pencil. And um, so it was just something that I learned. And then I was the dude that would like still, again, still pre-internet days. I would show up the Monday <clears throat> after the brackets come out, I'd show up to work having them all printed out and pass them around work. $5 brackets, $5 brackets, you know? Yeah. So it was cool to just like, to do that again in recovery, be able to enjoy the games, watch the games, wake up in the morning and remember who won, like yeah. all that stuff. It was really, it was a cool experience. You know, one of the things that like, talk about like having fun in recovery is one of those things where like, I tend to like avoid some of like my past, um, past, ways of having fun i've learned new skills and new new techniques to have fun yeah but i haven't really gone back to some of the old things and this was like an this was an experience mm -hmm. that you brought me to be able to do that yeah I, well and that's the thing with me was um i'm still i'm still in that i think we all get to that stage where we still try to for a while we stay away because you know in the beginning we try to change a lot of, like our stuff our people our places so we change our like the things we do but as time goes on, like, we've go back to doing things, you know, like, um, like I know, like, last year for uh, Jenny, who's my best friend's birthday, we all went and ate wings and shot pool for the first time in, in a long time. But it was all of us in recovery. We went to um, the place in Cherokee, the All-Star. Oh, okay, yeah. Because they had the, full, the four pool tables during the week, you know, we went and we had a good time. It was the first time in ever we had shot pool, and that's actually how I met Jenny and most of my friends in college 
was shooting pool around the pool tables yeah. in the dorms at Western. So like that was a thing. Like, and it's about learning that, like who I am, what I like to do. And I still struggle with that from time to time now. Cause it's, it's, it is, it's like, do I belong? Do I not belong? Like, am I comfortable here? Like I went, um, I think it was last year I went to a concert at the Orange Pill, which hey, I haven't been to a concert concert at the Orange Pill since I've been clean. And second of all, it was like a rap concert. So probably not the best thing, but we all went and it was Who it, was it? Do you remember? It was Yellow Wolf. Okay. It was yeah. when we went I went with a group to see Yellow Wolf and um because I grew up listening to a lot of rock, I grew up listening to rap music, so I like rap music and country, which are the two weirdest combinations ever, but um, anyway, so I went, and after that, like, I tell everybody, I was like, I went, I went to the concert. Yeah. You, I will, I probably will never go back to a Yellow Wolf concert. Yeah. You know, a lot of drinking on stage, a lot of people were drinking around us. Like, I swear, I smelled like beer when I left. My shoes had to be washed because I stepped in, beer had gotten spilled because they actually had, like, mosh pits going on. <laughs> like, it was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So, so many fights breaking out. Like, it was just crazy. I was like, this is not my scene. Yeah. You named two things that I also have not really ventured out to do. And number one is play pool um, because that's kind of just like relatable to. I was like, I was like a bar rat, you know, like in Tampa, Florida. Like, if there was, if you could find the shittiest like dive bar in town, I would be there. And so, like, um, playing pool was one thing. We went to, we did some bowling, like, Last year it was cold out. We did a bowling where at Res Hope and into raw bowling thing, and like Caleb and everybody were like shooting pool, and I was just it just made me feel really uncomfortable because it just like brought back a lot of those like feelings. And then the concert, I haven't really been to many like shows. I went to one show in early recovery, and I had an identical experience to what you did, and, I, and it was here at Western. It was Waka Flocka at Western. <laughs> yeah. It was in like 2015 or 2016 yeah. or something. And I was just like, it was, it was, I think a part of it was that I was like a 35 year old man <laughs> and surrounded by like 20 year old kids who were uh, annihilated. And so like, I think that was a big part of it, but like, I just didn't really have fun. And so th those are two things that are like on my list of things to do. Yeah. Um, but like at the right time in the right environment and that sort of thing. Well, and for me with that is being with the right people. For me, it's I need to be around people who are going to hold me accountable that I know, like when we went and shot pool, it was a whole group of us went out and everybody was in recovery. We had people with youngins with us. So it was, you know, this is going to be all right. And when I went to the concert, I went with three other people in recovery. Mm -hmm. We all rode together. There was no, there was no, we all stayed together at the concert. There was no like breaking off like you you know so i think that was what was cool was because i had people that i knew i had to hold myself accountable to because i also had the most clean time out of everybody there at the concert so yeah. it was like yeah and it wasn't really like it just was weird and it was like i've been to other concerts and they were fine but that i think because a it was an orange pill and b because of what was going on like they were actively drinking on stage and craziness going on and i'm just like man this is not at all my scene anymore yeah. like i can say this is not this is not me no more <laughs> like me younger yes we've been all about that yeah but it's like by having all 
but having that accountability piece around you, you knew like you were able to identify that, Hey, I might not fit in here anymore, but like, at least I like gave it a try and got to experience it. Right. Yeah. I went out and I can say that. Check that box. Yeah. Check that box. I went to the yellow concert. Check. check. <laughs> I remember it. Check. Yeah. Since, since we're talking about like having fun, like what's that progression been like for you to learn how to like, how to have fun and how to do things like that you enjoy and you know, find value and provide that fulfillment for you in your life? Like, what's the learning process been? For me, it's been kind of slow because yeah. I, well, a lot of it's because I work and it's just trying to figure that out. And also I found out that um, a lot of people I know can do things by themselves and I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I like to be around people. Uh-huh. I like to do things with people. So like, I'm all about, like if I can get a group together or somebody else come with me and let's go do this, let's, you know, let's do that. Like I'm more like, I'm more into that. But I found like for me, I really just like hanging out with people in general, which is kind of weird. Cause at first when I'm with a group of people I don't know, like kind of like at the Christmas party here, like I was real quiet. I kind of look around, kind of fill it out. Mm-hmm. But once I get to know somebody, like I'll talk your ears off. I'll talk like forever. Like I'm usually the one that like after we, we go to like our recovery meetings that Janine's like, we're, the, the car is leaving. <laughs> so every week, every week, every, every day. Every like, day. <laughs> so like, but that's, but that's something also, which is kind of opposite from when I was using, I was not that way. I was the super quiet one that did not, did not really talk and really was very introverted. And then when I got, as I've gotten clean and stayed clean, like, I'm a true extrovert. I like to be around people. Mm-hmm. I like to do things. Like that's kind of where I find where I feel most comfortable with and like to do. Like me chilling at my house all the time is not a good spot for me. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. And I had to learn that. And a lot of that I had to learn in early. I learned in early recovery too was I didn't need to be at the house by myself. So I did certain. Like I went to meetings and then I uh, um, got fortunate because one of my uh, because before I got clean, I went to therapy in college, which is kind of funny. And my therapist was the first one that was like, maybe your drinking is a problem. Is that here at Western? Yeah, at Western. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would say about that, just my little soapbox, is they never gave me how they used to do it. They didn't give people diagnoses. I'm sure there was a diagnosis, but my therapist never told me what my diagnosis was. And I kind of wish I would have known that exactly what my diagnosis was. So maybe I could have. I don't know if I wasn't probably wasn't ready anyway, but I didn't know like what, what they were saying I had or what my diagnosis was then. But she was the one that made me look at what binge drinking was, what, you know, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't normal behavior. And I was like, nah, I'm in college. I'm at Western. We all do this. It's the expectation, man. Yeah. And I went to Western from 07 to, from 07 to 2011. So like it was a while ago too. So like there wasn't, and there wasn't like recovery on camp, like the recovery group mm-hmm. wasn't there. Like that's where I did a lot of my my partying was at Western Cliff, <laughs> which is kind of funny now. And now here we are doing a recovery podcast right down the street. Right, yeah, and like, yeah, and I see that there is like recovery stuff now, which is I think is brutally. I know people who've gone to Western clean, and it's like, and so it's like a really interesting concept for me. When I was like, that's all I did was party in college. Yeah. You got to live up to the expectation. I think that that's one of those things that like, you know, I've thought a lot about this because being a non-traditional student being involved in these collegiate recovery programs and being on campus all the time and, and working 
in a retail environment here in Silva where we hire a lot of <laughs> college kids. Yeah. And that like I've, I've reflected on that a lot in the sense that like I, I could honestly say that there was no fucking thing that anybody could have told me right at at 20 years old, at 19, 20, 21 years old no counselor, no therapist, no prevention services that would have like changed my mind. I was like that rebellious kid that was like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this shit out my way. I'm going to lay my path and figure this shit out. And like, I didn't, I was not open to like any type of, um, coaching or mentoring or any of that kind of stuff. Like I, I was in, my parents would attest to this. Mom's probably watching, drop some comments, mom. Um, <laughs> like I was go, I was determined to do it my way. I was like one of those teenage boys that was just like, nobody could tell me anything. And so like, I think about that a lot, like in these recovery circles that we travel when, you know, we're, we are now interacting with that Steve, Yeah, you know, that 16, 17 year old Steve, like how do you approach that? And what, like, there's nothing I could say, dude. So why, what's the point of wasting my breath instead of being more like, just like, I don't know, lead, not necessarily leading by example, but just like not having the conversation without like directly having the conversation without being so direct, just treating them like a person and like asking them about like what their interests are or what, you know, how they enjoy their lives and like have that, create that, create that personal connection first and not necessarily like. Yeah, because I, I believe, like, I'm a firm believer, you're not, you can't get clean if you don't realize you have a problem for anything. If you don't, if you think what you're doing is completely normal and you're fine with it, you're not seeing any consequences, even though there might be consequences of it, then you're never, then why change? If you don't see it as a problem, you're not going to change because you don't see a problem with mm -hmm. it. And for me, like, when I, especially when I, like, see teenagers, I see people, like, young people, like, I try to, just kind of plant the seed to let them know that if they ever think that they have any, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you don't have any issues. Maybe you really will grow out of it. But if there is, there, there, there's, there's definitely help out there if you, when mm -hmm. you need it, if you want it. Yeah. And like, I mean, what's the percentages of like people who can consume alcohol healthy ways like normally it's like it's I, pretty high right like eight out of ten or nine out of ten is that am i right am i way off five out of ten 50 50 like there's a large portion of of the population who can you know yeah and well that's what my thing is i tell them like i'm i like for me like i knew from an early age like like I never had that switch in my head that told me to stop. Yeah. Like I'd stopped when it ran out or when I blacked out. Like mm -hmm. there was no, or somebody put me to bed, you know, like there was no, my brain never had that. Even mm -hmm. when I was like in a teenager, like young teenager and stuff. So like, um, it was kind of funny because I was just reflecting back. Like, um, I'm leaving out this week to go see my half sister graduate from high school. And when I graduated from high school, um, some family friends on my dad's side threw me a party and it was like, they knew I was there. It, it, I knew it wasn't going to get back to my mama, which is my big deal. It was a, I hit a lot of my use in college and high school because I didn't want to get back to my mom. So I knew it wasn't going to get back to my mom and I just, just went for it, man. Uh -huh. And I was just like, 
Yeah. And so, like, they're having a party for my sister, but it's before graduation. And I was like, I told my sponsor, I was like, hey, yeah, I know there's not going to be, there might be few people, but there's not going to be like the all out partying because it's before graduation and all the family's there. So that's cool. I said, but if there's any other one going on this weekend, I probably won't attend. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know better. But it's just kind of interesting. Like, when I look back, I was like, no, like, I, I knew I wasn't, like, I knew, like, I didn't realize it was a problem. Like, I just thought, I saw, like, this is how I've always been. This is how it's going to be. Like, um, but for me, like, my kind of segue into recovery was through um, the fact that I have a co-current mental illness. And I, I don't talk about it a whole lot because of just whatever, because um, I don't, I don't talk privately, but, like, the program I work is, I don't talk a whole lot. I talk more one-on-one with people than overall about but like yeah i have major depression like that doesn't ever go away like uh, i remember somebody once asked me in early recovery like do you think that will go away i'm like no actually i really don't because like i've had the symptoms for most of my life (laughs) even before i started using alcohol so it was an alcohol induced major depression i had the brain chemistry like that's not going to go away um and i've always that's what kind of led me into therapy in college was my depression and then she, my lovely therapist, which I wish I knew her name because I would send her a thank you card and let her know how well I've done since then. Let's talk afterwards. I think I know her name. <laughs> well, I don't know. She left after Did I she? when okay. I graduated. She left. She was awesome. Um, um, she was not a student because yeah. I got somebody. I was like, mm-hmm. I told finally, I was like, I don't want a student. I want somebody. So she was awesome, and she led me to kind of realize, and then I really still was in quite a lot of denial about my use and. I truly was one of the last people to realize that my drinking was an issue. Like, I really was. Like, my mom had talked to Janine, my best friend, was like, I really wish Kelly would stop drinking. Had no clue that she did that. Like, had no clue that my mom even knew about how bad my drinking was. Because that was kind of my thing was I came to college. I wanted to get out where I grew up. My main goal my whole life was I'm getting out where I grew up. (laughs) I grew up in bottom part of South Carolina. What town? Hardyville. Never heard of it. Right, we're in between Hilton Head Island on one side oh, yeah. and Savannah, Georgia on the other side. Okay. And I went to high school in Savannah. Did you really? Mm-hmm. I oh. went to a private school over there from 5th through 12th. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a whole different thing. <laughs> um, but that, It's a fun town. Yeah. It's Savannah. <laughs> like, if you... It's like the uh, St. Patty's Day is like the third largest St. Patty's Day in the world. Yeah. Is Savannah, Georgia. And that's, you know... So that's where I grew up. I grew up, like, in that. That low country, huh? Yeah, that low country. I grew uh-huh. up grew up with that. And I once drove my car from Tampa, Florida, to Savannah, Georgia, just to eat at some restaurant, and then I turned around and drove all the way back. Wow. That was... <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, highly intoxicated <laughs> and out of my mind, but I yeah. was dedicated to get that food. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> um, so... I, if you're okay with it, I would like to maybe talk a little bit about the depression. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I that and to me, like for my story, is kind of a different some from others. Is I uh, I stopped drinking actually Memorial Day weekend of 2011 because my roommate had banned me from drinking in our house, and then I slowly but surely, without having my major coping skill which is drinking 
I slowly but surely slipped into what would become my worst major depression depressive episode of my life. Um, where like I wasn't getting out of bed, I wasn't eating, I wasn't showering. Like knowing what we know now, I'm sure I probably would I should have probably been hospitalized, but I wasn't. Um and I knew from being in therapy and what kind of like my treatment, like my plan was well after I graduated was I needed to go to Meridian to the RACs. And I had already kind of been there to the to their group classes and stuff. So I was I was already linked up there and I could go there even if I didn't have insurance, which was really cool. Um, so like I just I knew and I knew like if I because I tried to handle my depression without medication. Like I tried that summer, it got bad. Like I said, I wasn't I wasn't getting out of bed. Like I literally had to be forced to get out of bed. And then I make it to the couch. You said earlier that you experienced symptoms of this depression at a very early yeah. age. Was this the first time that you had acknowledged it, like clinically through a counselor or therapist? I did it in college. I didn't get help because uh, in my family, which they're probably going to love this, it's a my behavior was very normalized. My um, other family members have my same behavior. So to my mom, I was I was normal for our family. So I didn't get help for my thinking, for my negativity, for like the other parts of my depression until I got to college. And then... I think that's very common though. Yeah. Not just, you know, not just in your family. Like. Well, no. And I think it is because it's the first time you're around other people. And like I had a roommate I pointed out was like, yo, the way you act and the way you do things is not normal. And I was like, what do you mean it's not normal? Because this is my normal. And so... um Definitely went to therapy. Thought I worked through some stuff. Don't know how much I really worked through because I was still actively using. Um, and they didn't push meds or anything. Um, and I don't know if it was because of my use. Um, so once I had become completely abstinent from all substances and went through like a, my major depressive, because what has, I'll go back a little bit. Um, my senior year in college, I went through. Um, kind of a bad spot at the beginning of my, my last semester. But I pulled up just in time to pull my grades up and to graduate. And if I wasn't in my major I was in, I probably wouldn't have graduated. I don't really, because I didn't do a lot of assignments in the beginning. Like I, I went to class, and that was about it. And that was, that was a stretch. <laughs> but luckily for my, I was in a smaller program at Western, and my professors knew me, and I guess like me and let me make up some stuff later on, but I pulled my grades up enough to graduate and I graduated. And then I was fine for a little while. And then I went right back into it and it was, um, very, it was very bad. And then I realized, cause they had recommended when I first went to Meridian after I graduated that maybe I should be on meds. And I was like, nah, I don't need no meds. I'm good. Good. I could just manage this with like skills, which I wasn't really working with skills. And my main coping skill was alcohol. So like that really wasn't a skill either. So um, with that, I um, about um, August of that year, I had finally hit a really low spot um, and had finally gotten a, a job um, working at Walmart here in Silva as a cashier. And uh and decided that, you know, I, I don't really remember a whole lot about what, like, spurred me on. I think it might have been my roommate who had enough. 
I was like, you need to get a job, you need to pay bills, you need to like bathe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I finally went back to Meridian and also knew that there was no way they were going to put me on depression meds if I continued to drink the way I do. <laughs> like that was not, they were, nobody was going to do that. And I was, and I'm a horrible liar, so I knew lying was not an option about this. So um, that's why, um, so I, I went to Meridian, got on some meds, and um, finally went to meetings and said, hey, I admitted that I was an addict. And that's why my clean day, even though my last use was Memorial Day 2011, my actual clean day, the one I claim is August 30th, 2011, because that's when I started working a program, because I was miserable. The whole summer, I was like, I thought I was going to die. I didn't care when I, I was, um, what I now know, what my therapist told me when I got finally back to therapy was, I was very passively suicidal. Like, I just didn't care. I didn't think nobody would miss me. I had all that hopelessness. I was, you know, and I think also a lot of it was, my whole goal at that point was to graduate college. Well, I did, I did that. And I didn't have anything else to kind of, there's go, nothing else to work towards. Yeah, there's nothing else. I, I had comp- the one goal I had since I was like eight was I graduated college and I got the hell out of Jasper County. <laughs> so like that's the county I grew up in. So like I accomplished these goals that I had and I was like, I don't know what to do now. And um, so I uh, went through that and then I, that's how I got exposed to being um, a peer support was because there was some ladies some older ladies that worked at Meridian and th- that ran some of the classes who were peer supports who had also dealt with major depression. And um, I really related to them, even though they were older. I really related to them and really realized that I had no skills, none. <laughs> Basically, when it comes to anxiety or pressure or stress, I, have n- I had no skills. I never learned anything um, except avoidance. <laughs> Uh, but that's just like, I think that's, that's so common in young people, right? Yeah. Is that like, we lack that, that's like the, the big missing piece to the puzzle of our like development. And it's like no, no shame on our parents or no blame placed on anybody. It's just that like somewhere along the development process, um, those skills just don't get addressed. They don't get talked about enough. Um, They don't get taught or you don't get practical ways to taught practical ways to apply them. Yeah. And and for me, I learned a lot of negative ones. Like I, my natural reaction was good to anger. And then I was just actually talking to somebody about this the other day. Like my natural reaction was good to anger. Well, I had a younger sib, I have a younger brother and me and my brother would fight. I mean, we had, knock out drag out fights and arguing and we had destroyed some destroyed some stuff like we we when we were get frustrated and angry we take it out on each other so once i left my home i learned it was not all right to pick arguments with people because i would do that i'd pick i had some one person in particular i knew was really easy to rile up and i'd rile this person up start this argument and then i'd walk away because then i had gotten my needs met and i realized that was not acceptable when I'm frustrated. That is not okay to take it out on other people and rile them up just to make myself feel better. So I had some skills, but they were not healthy ones. And then I would bottle. And I still kind of, I'm still bad about this, is 
I would just take all my feelings and just bottle them up. And I don't know where I learned that because my mom is not that type of mom that was really like, it's all right to cry, but I would not cry in public. I would not show my feelings. I didn't want to be shown as weak. Like, that was not okay. And my mom even had a word from when I was growing up. I was, I'd have meltdowns. Like, I'd let it all build and build and build. And then I just have, like, a moment where I'd melt down, like, crying or upset. Or I remember being a teenager, like, I would, like, take everything, like, destroy my bedroom. <laughs> and then, like, I'd be all right because I didn't know I've released all this, all the pent-up everything. And so... Like, I had some of these skills, but they were not healthy skills. And they were not skills that I couldn't just destroy everything in my life when I got older. Like, it's not right when you have a housemate. <laughs> or your landlord's not going to be okay if you destroy everything when you're pissed. Mm -hmm. And then also don't feel like cleaning it up anymore because, yeah. So what was the learning process like over at Meridian? How did they teach you? Well, we had group classes, and it was a lot of, like, we would talk about it and a lot of practical stuff like um, being mindful. And like one of my favorite ones I learned was being mindful through, through photography. And I've always liked pictures and like did a little, did a little sketch when I was younger, but I really liked taking pictures. And I, for a while there I got into where I'd, and they took us around town and I have like a big scrapbook of it where we got to take pictures around town of different places and being mm -hmm. mindful of what we're seeing and stuff like that. And it was really neat to learn to be like kind of in the moment. And that was something for me was like, I was catastrophizer. Like I was taught you plan for the worst. It is going to be the worst. You plan for it. And that's how you live. Well, I had to learn, like I learned a lot of mindfulness and I learned that, you know, it's all right to just kind of be content. And it's also like, um, breathing and meditation, even though I didn't like meditation at first. Like why I not? Cause I couldn't, I couldn't. You know, you can't say that to me. And I know. Expect well, me to... well, I couldn't, I couldn't like. For me, as I couldn't call my mind enough. Mm -hmm. For to me, it was very frustrating, because I remember like my least favorite class there was meditation. I was like, I hate this class, because like I couldn't like everybody else seemed to be like so like calm, and my brain was going five hundred miles a minute. And but I, that's okay. But yeah, it was, but like, I just would get frustrated because I couldn't like bring it, like do it. But now I'm a lot better at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually kind of enjoy some of the meditations and we have some, um, I have certain meditations I actually kind of like and stuff. So, but in the beginning it was really frustrating because I couldn't, like my mind wouldn't stop. Like even down the day, like my mind will like go and play out all these scenarios. That's probably never going to happen. Mm -hmm. But then I get hyped up and get anxious and it's like, you know, so I had to learn, like, I learned a lot of the, like, um, they taught a class that's based on, like, why, um, DBT skills and wise, being wise, mindful and, they call it wise mind, not everybody, but like being mindful and learning, like, distraction, but healthy distraction. Like, um, for a long time, I liked to do, like, the uh, Mandela's and color mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, I learned there's healthy ways to be able to distract and healthy ways to be able to get stuff out. Um, and it's different for everybody. So, like, my way of doing it and say your way of doing it is nothing wrong yeah. with that. It's just mm -hmm. the way we do it. And that's something I've I've learned, I've kind of taken into it for me was that there's always, everybody has their own little different ways. Yeah. Something, one skill that's going to work for me may not work for you. You may not like that skill, but this is the dumbest skill ever. But for me, it's like my skill. And so, like, I don't, I try to be, 
um, more mindful of it. Um, one thing that I learned a lot was about also just opening up and talking about my feelings and talking about, cause that was a big deal was even to my friends, I'd isolate when I got really bad depressed. I was living with my best friend and over the summer I was living with like actually my two best friends from college and we had some other people stay with me and I was completely isolated, even though I was living with them emotionally isolated from everybody and learning that it's okay to open up. And today when I'm feeling, when I'm having feelings or I'm struggling, like I talk about it. And I reality test a lot too with my feelings. I'm like, is this normal? Is this how normal people feel? It's all right. Like today is all right to be kind of anxious when you're about to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like Totally. Like this is a normal, this is normal. But for me, like I beat myself up for, for having that. Like, why are you so nervous? You know, yeah. you know, Steve, like, oh, you know, I have all this negative self-talk going on. 72 people have sat in that chair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 72 people have been very nervous. Yeah. A handful of them, we've had to go like the week before and have coffee with them and kind of calm their nerves a little bit and like make them feel comfortable. Um, the very beginning, we'd have, we'd have face-to-face meetings with people all the time because, but then as it like, ramped up it became like unmanageable if i'm doing two shows a week i can't go i don't just don't have the time in my schedule yeah. but like that's a completely normal um behavior yeah and i don't even know no normal is a word that i don't really t- i don't really uh, vibe with too well yeah because i'm the farthest thing from normal yeah. <laughs> <I'm> fucking <laughs> um so yeah like that's totally but the difference is now is that you recognize that right even yeah. if it's not like even if it's not like air quotes normal, you still, you're, you spoke on the mindfulness piece. Like you're recognizing the feelings, you're recognizing the emotions and that allows you a little bit of space that, that allows you a little bit of space to create um, a healthy way to respond to that emotion. Yeah. Well, tonight the healthy way was to just kind of like sit here and get comfortable and BS a little bit before we started. Yeah. And, and that's, and also for me was I, when I would do, when I'd have these feelings, like anybody would have the feelings I would have, I'd beat myself up for them. Mm -hmm. Like I'd have a lot of like, even while I was doing something, I'd have that negative self-talk in my head Mm -hmm. saying, oh, blah, blah, you're weak or this is stupid, you you know, all this stuff. And it took me a long time to realize that kind of myself shut up, like tell my brain, like, no, like. This is this is how anybody in this you know situation would feel. You know, this is part of being human, like and having to learn that it's all right to be human and it's all right to have feelings, and it's all right with that. And it was a lot of that and learning the pause, like the pause moment, like okay, we're gonna pause and we're just gonna breathe through this, and it's mm-hmm. it's gonna be I can and learning I can live through those emotions. Yeah. Because for a long time, I just didn't. Like, I stopped. I'm like, oh, mm, nope, not going there. So having to learn, even though it was painful, it was a lot of times of crying, a lot of long night talks with my best friend. So I'm, I'm real lucky and blessed that my best friend is in recovery, and she's actually how helped me, pushed me into recovery myself and stuff. So, like, I have somebody that I'm really close with that went through a lot of my active addiction with me, that has been through all of my active recovery with me, who knows me and I can like tell her anything. And sometimes she laughs at me because it's the stuff that comes out of my head. It's kind of funny. 
Um, in the moment, maybe not so funny, but it's definitely sometimes funny. It's one thing. Are you saying that you're in on the stand-up comedy gig with us? No, too? no, I'm not. I'm not that funny. Okay. I, I will not. Nope, that's not. Mm, she is, but I'm not that funny. Okay. I'll be there to support and laugh. Okay. <laughs> but no. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah, but no, I just it it takes me a minute, and I have and I have to realize it's okay, and it's okay to not be perfect, and that was my biggest thing too. Like. They recommended, like, after I came in for my assessment, they were like, I think you need to take this perfection class. I'm like, <laughs> I have everything other than a perfectionist. Like, that is not at all me. And then I found out there's two types of perfectionists. It's the perfectionist that they do everything and everything's perfect. And then there's the people who are perfectionists who, if they don't feel like they can do it perfect, they just don't do it. Which one were you? I'm the one that just don't do it. Okay. So, like, I realized that, that that is part of me, is if I don't think I can do it correctly, I just don't do you it. avoid. I completely avoid it. I don't want to do it. And that's and a lot of that, I've learned to realize that. And some of it is the fact that I am the queen of procrastination. I am too. But some of it is just because of that. Like, if I don't think I can do it right, I just won't do it. You avoid it until you don't, can't avoid it anymore. Yeah, or, or, it's, or it has passed. I was talking to a friend. She was dealing with some similar stuff at school the other day and I can't remember who it was but I was telling her I was like you know we have we ha- we have these extreme unreachable expectations of ourselves right like I want to have like the uh number one downloaded podcast in the entire free living world right and we just hold these like expectations so high but if that are just so unreachable. But if we were like watching ourselves, if we were watching somebody else um, do what they're doing and like achieving these little simple, more simplified tasks, we would like acknowledge them and give them a big pat on the back and praise them for doing such an exceptional job. But when it's us, we set these just unrealistic, unmanageable goals for ourselves. And I'm I'm guilty as anybody of it too. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, I think, I don't know if that's, I, I haven't figured out if that's just kind of how we are as humans or if that's an addict behavior, but I know I, I do that. Like, I will set myself, like, I will expect myself to be here when I wouldn't expect anybody else to be here. Yeah. I think that there's a couple different things that influence it. I think that, um, I think that we're just kind of like hardwired. Part of like the ego and stuff is just like, and part of like society and our culture teaches us that we're like unique and individual. So we like, put ourselves on this pedestal, right? That we think that we can like do all of these like wonderful and magical things. And I'm by, by no means am I saying that like we can't, right? Yeah. By no means is, am I saying that my podcast won't be the most downloaded <laughs> one in the entire country. Um, but I'm just saying like, hey bro, check yourself. Maybe set like a little more real, realistic goal, you know? Yeah. Week by week, smaller, short-term stuff. Um, and I procrastinate the fuck out of things too. Tomorrow's the last day of school. And when I get done with this thing, I'm going to be at home grinding, <laughs> grinding probably until the sun comes up to get caught up with everything. Cause yeah. like, it's like through the mindfulness practice, through self, a high level of self-awareness and constantly like assessing, um, you know, my actions constantly assessing the way that I live my life. I'm constantly like prioritizing yeah. the things that are, 
that I have to address or things that are in my life. And so like, obviously recovery is number one. And like the things that I need to do to support my recovery are number one. And then like probably this, this little job thing here, this little <laughs> show and then a couple other things. And then like schools like has, you know, two years ago, school was number two behind recovery. And now school is like towards the bottom of the mm-hmm. list because it's just not like, it's just not, I've learned to like in that category of my life, not have those high expectations. Like, dude, it's okay to, for me, for me today, it's like, it's just grades, dude. Like when I walk off that campus, finally, <laughs> it's six years to get my two year degree. <laughs> when I walk across that stage with that piece of paper, it's just grades, bro. Like they're not coming with me. They're staying on that campus. They're staying in that classroom when that semester ends tomorrow. It's just a grade, bro. I'm not going to stress out over what my grade is at the same time I take responsibility for my actions in knowing that whatever grade I got is what I deserve it's a reflection of my work at <laughs> yeah. the same time you know well yeah and that's something I had to learn was that if my best is okay yeah and that's something I struggle with is I think I needed to be able to do all this stuff especially at work I feel like I should be able to do juggle all this stuff and do it. and it's like my one sponsor um um really straight if you do your best then that's your best and it's all right to walk away and say this is my best or even so like to like recognize that you gave yourself the best and yeah. like give yourself a pat on the back and say damn dude i really i really fucking tried i really busted my ass with this shit you know like yeah it's important to recognize that stuff yeah and i think that's where i i think i also struggle with that was instead of saying like instead of for me it's like i don't acknowledge the accomplishment instead of being like oh well i did all this it's like instead of like looking at all the things i've done i like look at the list that's still still to be done that's how our minds are wired (laughs) it is so hard and that's the hardest thing for me to break especially with work like and i hate to say it it was different when i worked jobs i didn't mm, i don't care about but it wasn't like I wasn't highly invested in like when I, when I was a cashier, the Walmart cashier job. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and then I also um, dealt cards at the casino hmm. and for two and a half years. So like, I, it was a little bit easier to like put that, put that down at the end of the day. But now because I work as a peer support, I also work with people. So it's real hard for me to not like carry that home with me. Mm-hmm. And we have a rule in our house. We're only allowed to talk about work so much. And then we... You got like 30 minutes and then that's it? Yeah. 20 minutes? We try. and then Or somebody else brings it up. We're like, why are we still talking about work? And that's a very common... <laughs> like I've had many peer supports sit at this table. And that's a, that's a, that's such a common um, theme in these conversations is like taking the work home and like allowing it to like... That and allowing it to, to uh, influence like your process of recovery. And I think yeah. that... in not to like, mm, mm, not to like, I've, I'm only halfway through the class now. So there's two more classes coming up, but that's, there hasn't been as, as much of an emphasis on that topic in the class that I've been taking the last couple Saturdays that I would have like, maybe liked to see, you know, like it hasn't really been, hasn't, it's not something that's come up. Yeah. It's something that's so important. I mean, I know I've known, I've known peers that have returned to use over situations like that, that that pertain to bringing the work home and allowing it to like bleed over into your personal. 
Yeah, and I think that's something we miss out a lot and we don't talk enough about is the self-care. We have to have self-care. I'm horrible at self-care. I will admit that. I am the... I will sit there and be zoning off and Jenny will be like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, I'm thinking about... I'm trying to problem solve something for work Mm -hmm. when it's 10 o'clock at night time. But I, I... My first job, I really didn't make that a priority and I burn out because it's that constant stress and anxiety I carry out through my day. And yes, I, I think it's also different when you work with people. I think a lot of it comes from working in a field where it's different when you are working something you you're not working directly with people in their lives. So sometimes it's hard to just like switch it off because if you get if you're a peer support, you like to help people. Mm-hmm. We're natural helpers, so trying to cut that <laughs> off. Um, it's hard. It's hard to do that. And I feel like that is something that as peers, we really need to stress more. And it's something I try, I'm trying to do. Like, like I said, I'm about to go on this vacation. And I, for a while there, had like talking out with people. I felt guilty about taking that vacation to go see my family when I have so much work to do and so many things to do at work. Mm-hmm. I was like, I could really work and have all this booked out to the max. But part of my amends to my family is being there for these events mm-hmm. that I did not make the time for. Like, these are one-in-a-lifetime events. Like, my half-sister's graduating from high school. <laughs> our grandmom was turning 75. Like, these are events that don't come around. Or not going to come around. Once-in-a-lifetime. They're once-in-a-lifetime. Mm-hmm. And... W- w- it's not, my job's not worth me. Like, but part of me is like, yes, it is. Like, you should be at work. And it's like, no, I've earned that time off. I've earned that. I've earned it. I'm taking it and I'm doing it. And I'm not even going on like a vacation. Like, I probably need going to need a vacation from my vacation. Mm-hmm. Like, build that into this vacation, actually. So I can come home and be at home for a few days and just chill out. But, yeah. How do you, how do you prioritize that self-care for yourself? Not... Not accountability from others. I don't want to hear other people telling you. How do you do it? And uh, don't look down this t- at the end of the table. Look at me. Um, I, I don't really know. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie. Like I, it's one of the things I, I still struggle with, and I will. I think I may always struggle with. But for me, it's like I. I also know what anxiety long. If I'm anxious for long periods of time, I know what that does to me today. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the way that makes me feel like I'm really prone to anxiety migraines. So I have anxiety migraines and I'll, I'll clench my jaw so hard. You know, like I know what stress feels like in my body. And for me, like when I'm feeling that, I have to realize like it's time to do something different. And maybe it's, you know, getting into watching something on TV or going doing something or just not... Or when I find myself thinking about work, stopping the thought, like not playing it out, not trying to problem solve at 10 o'clock at night time while I'm laying in bed, trying to go to sleep, but I'm trying to problem solve for the next day new. Like I'm not at work. And just really reminding myself that, like I am not at work. What about the, um, you mentioned that like photography program that yeah. you learned at Marion. Is that something that you still kind of get into? I don't anymore. And yeah. that's something I keep saying I'm going to get back into that I haven't. Um, <clears throat> and that's a problem for me <coughs> is I ha- it's easy. It has been easy for me to 
let some of those skills go. And I still, every once in a while, if I see something, I'm still, I still like to take pictures and I still like, and I still do take them, but not as much as I used to. And like, need to make myself get out more and just take pictures or just get out in general. Like, I'm the world's worst of sitting on the couch and uh, binge watching TV or Facebook videos, which I swear you can get like lost for hours mm-hmm. and just Facebook videos. That's the dangers, man. What, um, <laughs> Are you like a routine type of person? Like you like to get in a routine and kind of stick to it? Or do you kind of like venture off in your own? I, I'm not. Way? I try. I try because <clears throat> I found I do well with the routine, but yeah. I'm the world's worst with like making, getting on it, getting, sticking with it. Like yeah. I do well for like a week or so. And then I'm just like, and then I just go back to doing whatever I'm doing. Like, so I am. And that really helps with like prioritizing that self-care stuff. It's like I wake up in the morning. I set my alarm clock set for 6 a.m. No matter what time I have to go anywhere. First thing I do is I'll meditate for like 20 minutes. Right. Just get that knocked out of the way. Um, and then depending on like what I have going on through the week, I have like time slots when I go and work out at the gym at SEC. Uh, but the most important thing that I really try to do, and I've kind of been bad at it lately, but it, it, it really worked for a long, long time, was 30 minutes before bed, the phone goes on silent. It gets flipped, screened down, no light up, no nothing, and I'll sit there and just read a book that has nothing to do with school or even really recovery, just something that I'm interested in. Uh, it helps my brain just kind of like slow down and all those things that you're talking about, like the thoughts just like kind of like racing all over the place and I'll read for 30 minutes and then I'll turn the light off and go to bed. Sometimes I don't do that. I don't start that process until midnight, but I still like try to make sure that I do that. And I found that it's solid. Again, it's different for everybody, but that's like a, a, cause the screen, the damn screen, it gets, (laughs) you talk about your brain racing and thinking about stuff and getting, going down rabbit holes of like YouTube videos or Facebook videos and stuff, that screen stimulates your brain in the same way that like drugs did. Same like dopamine releases and stuff like that. Um, it's dangerous, man. Like if, if I don't put that screen down 30 minutes before I try to go to sleep, I will not go to sleep. I don't care how much melatonin I take. I don't care nothing. I will not go to sleep. Yeah, and that I'm the world's worst with that because I use my phone as my alarm clock. So, I do too. So I go, so I take it into bed with me, and mm-hmm. then I have the Kindle app on my phone. So then I read the Kindle app, yeah, which is not the same as reading reading a real book because mm-hmm. it's the backlight of it. Yeah. Do you switch? Do you have it set to like uh, the different colors, or do you just have it? No, I didn't until like no. till like last night until I switched <laughs> it to because I was like yeah. I'm switching it to a different that, color. That makes a big difference because I I read a lot on my Kindle too. Um, but. But yeah, it is like, and I I have to be more. I try to be mindful of that too. Like I try to be mindful of not. I didn't do so well last night because I went to bed and then I went to bed watching something on my watching the new Game of Thrones on my app. What happened? Spoilers? No, you got any spoilers? Tell no, me what happened. I, I can't because never Jenny seen... is reading the books oh. and is waiting to watch the series once she Everybody finished. was mad on social media it, today, and I don't know was, what happened. It was horrible. It was horrible. I'm not going to tell you. No, like, people were mad on social it, media. It, it, I, I will say, like, talking about things, like, um, I just got into Game of Thrones, like, Two years ago, my uh-huh. my I never had I never had HBO, so I never watched any of it. And then my stepsister and her husband had the first season on DVD, 
and because I'm a good addict, um, she let me. Binge it all. I binged <laughs> watch like a bunch, and then I got <laughs> home, and then I had the flu for a week. Uh-huh. So I got the HBO like. 14, like two weeks free HBO, and I binge watch one, like finish mm-hmm. one all the way to seven in like two weeks. I finished in two weeks. It was a lot of Game of Thrones. Um, but I just will say, like, this, I feel like this season is just like a cop out. <laughs> just a cop out. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying anything. Else. I just feel like it's a cop out. I feel like I don't know what happened. I feel like somebody decided, like, I don't. I've never seen one single episode, oh. so I couldn't. I have no idea what's going on. I tell you, I, I watched. You said you're a hip hop. Grew up listening to hip hop. I got stuck watching the new Wu Tang Clan documentary series that's on Showtime, and that shit is the real deal, man. That shit. If you do a little seven day trial and watch the four four episodes of it, it's solid, man. It's a solid program. It's funny that you said that because me and Jenny just got finished watching Marriage Boot Camp Hip Hop Edition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you would walk a flock and his wife was on there. Was she? Yep. It was, it was quite interesting. It was, uh, it was, and it's the first time they did like Marriage Boot Camp where there was everybody in the same like culture. Yeah. And it was very interesting. But uh-huh. yeah, it was, it was, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm real big on that. <laughs> like my reality TV shows. How long, um, how long into this process you're taking classes at Meridian and kind of made some connections with, um, you said the the ladies who were doing peer support there. How long into that process did you seek out becoming a peer support specialist and gain employment doing that? Like, okay. What was that like? Well, they a they recommend it to me um, for a while, and then I will say. I probably had about, must have been about almost three years, two and a half, three years clean before I actually took the class and said, okay, I did a lot of research because I did have a bachelor's degree and I did a lot of research about if I went in as a peer, if that would then give me my experience to become a Q. If, okay. And eventually, I also thought of it as the fact that I wanted to see, like I really respected the, the women that were peers at the time. And I really thought, they really said, hey, I think you, you could be a peer. Like, I really think you could do this. And then I I really wanted to try it. And, that, and I also figured that I could do the peer support for a lot cheaper than a master's degree. <laughs> so that, um, so to see if I liked it and to see where, if, if, if this would be the career. Because uh, this is not what I went to school for at all. What did you go to school for? I went for I have a bachelor's in environmental health. I wanted to be a, a county health inspector, focusing on septic systems and wells. Okay. Because um, I never did, did not want to be in an office all day, and I liked being outside. So that's what I went to school for, and that's what I graduated with. Um, which is a health and human service degree. I just want to say that it is a health and human service degree. So, um, but I kind of like it took, and then I. Got my degree. I got my, I finally took, even though I still was working at the casino, and and I went and paid and did my peer support um, in Waynesville. And then it took me probably close to a year before I got hired. And what it is, I went out, I was doing some some job research, and then I went out, to have, I had a major ankle surgery, and I was non-weight bearing for six weeks. Oh, man. What and happened? I, I well... 
part of it was genetics and part of it is I wrecked a four a four wheeler or ATV when I was sixteen mm. and I didn't seek medical help for a week and I walked on it and I didn't really do any of the vice they told me to do with it. So it didn't heal properly back then. Well, they think it may have collapsed in and just not realized it because it was really hard. They had to finally do a CT scan to see it because it didn't, you couldn't really see it in the x-rays how rare, because I had a joint was partially collapsed and it causing me a lot of pain, a lot of swelling. And so I figured I couldn't go back to the, I probably could have, but I figured being de- being a, a, a tables game dealer, I had to be on my feet all 40 hours a week plus. So I did, I knew I probably couldn't go back to that after my surgery. So that's when I really hit the ground hard um, running. And then I landed my first job at Appalachian in, in Waynesville and worked as a standalone peer support there. Then I went on to work as TMS, which is, uh, it wasn't called TMS then, but it's Tenancy Management Services. Disability had it at the time, RHA, now Asheville now does it for uh, for that. And through working with them, I started working with the people at Via Health, which is a local MCO um, managed care organization for Medicaid. And I started working with that, with the um, Transition to Community Living Initiative people. And I knew that they had an in-reach position open in Waynesville that would serve the seven most western counties. And I asked them if they were still hiring for it and put my name in the thing, and they hired me. And I've been doing it for a little over two years now. And I help transition people out of um, the primary purpose is to help transition transition people with mental health um, diagnosis out of adult care homes because they don't need to be there. Yeah. And it's part of the Department of Justice settlement. That's cool. Yeah. So, but that's what I do for right now. As a peer support. As a peer support. It, it, our position is technically called an NRH specialist, but to be an NRH specialist, you have to be a peer support. Yeah. That was part of that was written into the settlement agreement for uh, that NRHs had to be peers. What, um, I'm sure that like being a peer, having experienced um, those major depressive episodes, you know, it's something that is very relatable to the individuals who you work with, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the what's the process like? Like, how do you how do you how do you how do you get into the into the loop? Like, how do they bring you in? How do they? How, what's that process like? Like, how do they? Well, for us, is we get referrals for our, our we, we just went through a new a new system where I meet people. Um, wherever they're at, and I tell them I'm in reach, but they, a lot of people don't know they're. I mean, they don't, yeah. they don't know what in reach is. They don't. Know, a lot of people don't even, maybe don't even know about peer support. And then um, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of fill it out because um, I work with sometimes the older, a little bit of older population mm-hmm. that would not be so open to somebody who's in recovery <laughs> talking to them. Mm-hmm. So um, I, but you know, I definitely tell people like when I first meet people, I tell people like. Um, I'm an in-reach specialist. I'm a, I'm a peer support. And I'm reason that how, how, what is a peer support is somebody that has lived experience. And I have lived experience um, with mental health and substance use challenges. Like, I, I have both. Um, and sometimes I don't go that far. Sometimes I just say I just have lived experience and I'm in recovery. Just kind of who I'm working with, and, yeah. you know. But you're, so your job is to help them transition out of the home. So, like, what... What exactly do you do? Like, what kind of? How do you? What's that process like? Well, okay. Like how do you? Well, I have to get, I have to get all the documentation together, mm-hmm. and then we have 
um, we're the one of the only um, MCOs that w- there used to be like a 27-page tool. We only work four now in this area, and then I take – basically my job is to get to know this person. If they don't have services, get them linked up to mental health services or whatever type of services they need. And sometimes now, because we're doing the integrated health, it's also helping them get hooked up with physical health services too. Mm-hmm. And just and then I do a lot of the paperwork on the front end and it also helps them identify like what they're looking for. Do you want to stay in Silva? Yeah. Or is your family somewhere else? You know, where, you know, is your national supports here? And just helping them kind of identify like where they would want to live and what that environment need to look like. And then I take all my tools I work. And I'll put them in a lovely one-page profile that's supposed to be very person-centered. We usually have to put like a picture on it. and I make mine colorful because I like to do that. And um, and yeah, we just try, like I try, I'm basically the front-end person. Like I meet them, I see, and I get all the documentation to see if they qualify for our program. And if they qualify and they want to, and they want to like transition and want to work with our program, I get I get them started in it. And then... I also do housing searches and I help, I do participate with like we, cause we have funding to help them like put deposits down and buy furniture. Cause people coming out of adult care homes don't have furniture. They won't have a lot of the basic household goods. So we help with basic household goods and stuff like that. And then we, um, and then I'm there through that. And then, I kind of fade away once they're housed, but I, I I work with them a lot until they're housed. And sometimes that can be quick, and sometimes it's years. <laughs> sometimes it's two years if people... I've had some people that are still my caseload from when I started because they just don't want to... because we have to see them, and they, they're happy where they're at. So. But I, I, really, en- I really enjoy... Um, helping people like get their own places and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. It's like super empowering. I think I was talking about like my buddy Trevor earlier today and like, you know, he's kind of going through a similar process. He was on the podcast last week. So if you haven't listened to episode 73, go back and listen to it. But he's working with the D- division of the blind and they're helping him. He's like 22 or three years old and graduated from SEC and he's going over to Western and they're kind of doing that exact process with him um, in helping him get his own place over near campus where he can like walk to all of his classes. It's, you know, it's like a big step for him in his, in his process and having relied on his parents all of his life and kind of like growing personally and like doing all of these things. Yeah. Um, We're just one of the many transition yeah. part programs. There's a lot there. There wasn't, there was a lot for people with the physical disabilities, but there wasn't, we didn't have a lot in the state before this for people with the mental health. How do they identify somebody that might be ready to go transition <laughs> out? Well, um, well, how it works right now is you can just call the, your local, MC, who? the local MCO. Ours okay. is via health. But I mean, who calls? Who, the clients do? People or? can't, the person, the client, the service providers, but we get a lot of self-referrals now. It should okay. not be like that. It used to be another process called the PASSAR system that you, you used to have to go through to get to me. Um, but now it's a self, can be a self referral thing. So, um, yeah, <laughs> they're going to love me for this because um, we have been swamped since we got it. But we have a lot of self referrals, people calling in or people. Um, yeah, so if you're watching, go ahead and call Kelly at 828. No, no. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. no do not call me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
I'm totally just kidding. Um, but, so, <laughs> but no, it's just um, we can it, basically people call the local managed care organization. Um, ours is VIA for the for the 23 most western counties, and just as, and and black people is they're asking for help with housing, and then they kind of they have they have their own questions they ask, and then um, I'm the person that make double checks the paperwork other assessments make sure they qualify and then I help gather the other paperwork we need for the program. So in your process of recovery, I think one of the things that stands out in many people who I've talked to stories um, and myself included is like overcoming challenges in recovery, right? Like when your face was just like, you know, some of the most difficult, difficult challenges, things that we would have never imagined we could get through while we were actively using. What, what is that like for you? Like, how do you, how do you approach these types of situations? It's like when it rained, like looking back on like my story, some of my, my most significant growth happened through extreme adversity in recovery, not before recovery, after recovery, like significant growth. Um, and you know, it, it was really fucking hard, but getting through that really is a handful of things that kind of all happened at one time and getting through that really significantly changed my perspective on this whole process on this whole game of life that we play. Um, and then in doing so and like getting that and then kind of like things kind of settling back down and getting back to normal for like a couple years and then just getting smacked in the face again, like two or three years later, most like recently, you know, like, um, having like been through it the first time, um, <clears throat> choking here coffee always does it to me having gotten through that the first time has just like made these it's made this these these changes so much more um i don't want to say like easier but so much more like accepting and tolerable and like given me a very clear understanding of the circumstances, right? And a very clear understanding of like looking at these difficult times and really honing in on them and being able to identify what it is that I am to learn from these situations, right? Because there's something in there that I, that I need to take away to allow me to continue to grow and to continue to prosper uh, into the person that I'm going to be. So like, What's it like overcoming like challenges, like being faced with difficult? I want to say for me, like um, two things that came to mind was um, one of my biggest um, uh, hurdles or one of my biggest um, challenges, um, one of my biggest reservations was dealing with death because I never learned to properly grieve. I didn't properly grieve. And when I was in my use, I lost like two of my, I've lost both my step grandfathers in the same year, months apart, both from cancer, different forms of cancer. So really for me, it was like, I didn't know how I'd handle that. 
And when that, when I was faced with that, I had a, um, an elderly aunt that helped raise me, pass away. Um, just the fact that a, I was able to be there and I was at the time wasn't like, I only had about a year and a half clean, but I, and I didn't have, like, I would say like, I just remember just reaching out, but also just not to that, but also being able to reach out to my family for the first time to get that comfort and be there with them and be able to grieve with them was a, like a huge deal for me and realizing that and through that process I didn't even really think about using which was like a huge deal for me because I was like I always thought if this happened I would want to use but I didn't want to do that and then since then I also lost um, my last grandfather I lost and it was I was great right around one of my clean dates actually I lost him and I was really one of my anniversaries and I um clean one of my clean time anniversaries and stuff and I was really grateful that I had learned like a proper grieving process and could do it and be there and talk about it and and realize that like realize that it's all right to grieve um but I will say like the hardest one of the hardest challenges I never thought I'd face was um I had a, a relationship that was a year and a half long relationship that ended and um it was the closest thing that I my brain literally was like you know there's a way not to feel what you're feeling like you know there's a way not to feel this and it's to use and I was like but luckily like I had enough my, I, that one part of my brain was saying this and then my recovery brain was like that is stupid <laughs> you will you have built your life I built my life in such a way where if I use, I lose everything and it's not worth it. And he is not worth losing everything. You know, this hurts, that heartache, that pain. I never really understood like when people talk about relationships and stuff until then, because I was the type of person that never really had a serious relationship, romantic relationship before I got clean. And I never really up until that point in recovery had one just because of my own issues and stuff. And so when that relationship ended, like I did a lot of crying. Luckily he broke it. We, we ended it on Thanksgiving. So I got to eat all of my fillings <laughs> and I got to be in that. We had, we had like a recovery Thanksgiving. So I got to be around a lot of women, a lot of people who knew me to be there. And I remember at one point we were going to it and like, it was like a text message thing and it ended, and I remember, like, um, one of my spots has always been is East Poor Park in Cullowee. I like to go listen to the water. So, like, I was with Jenny again, and we just drove to the – drove and, like, kind of rolled the windows down because it was November and just listened to the water, and I just let myself cry and just let myself, like, be upset. And then I kind of composed myself a little bit, and I went and ate all my feelings – and then I had another, I had another like crying and just, it's just a matter of telling myself it's all right to feel however I'm feeling yeah. and not suppress it and not hold it back and let it go when it's happening. Cause for, cause, cause since I'm such a bad, I have such a hard time letting my feelings out. Um, or I used to have such a hard time letting my feelings out in the moment that that's why I have to remind myself it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to eat all your feelings. It's okay. And then for me, with, with that, when that relationship ended, uh, one of the biggest things in my head was 
don't do anything that you will have to owe amends for later. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to ever have to talk to this person ever again. So don't do anything that you're going to have to make amends for later. Yeah. Well, it's again, like we were talking a little while ago (laughs) that, um, you know, we put ourselves, we have these high expectations of ourselves. And so like any reasonable person would clearly understand that it's okay to be sad during these periods of loss, whether it's death or a relationship or whatever, any reasonable, every, every person on this planet (laughs) besides some sociopath, every person on this planet would feel some of that sorrow. Yeah. Right. And be upset about, about that type of change, about that loss. Um, for me, it's, it's like, it's so crazy. Cause like, it comes all at once, like multiple things, boom, 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 boom. Right. And it's, it's almost like I was talking to my teacher, my advisor the other day. And it's looking back like every April and May, it's like literally like I locked it in on like a period of like three weeks, (laughs) every April and May, like significant loss. Right. And it's just like, if I could just get through this, these next couple weeks, um, I'm going to be okay. And like the first couple Aprils and Mays were really fucking hard. Right. In this April and May, there was a lot of appreciation this time. A lot of understanding, like to the point where I was like, came out of it just this a couple days ago. I came out of it with like, uh, like almost like wanting to just like pat myself on the back. Like, dude, yeah, you got, you know what to do now. You, you possess the skills to overcome it. The biggest thing was, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's silly, but like the biggest thing was that, um, I had to put my 14 year old American bulldog down like a week ago and he was, um, He's been with me since 2005. He lived through all the chaos. He lived through all the act of addiction. He kept me alive at the end when I was ready to take my own life. The only reason why I did it was because I knew that he would be in that apartment. And I would I don't know how like long some it would take for somebody to find him. And so there was like there was a, a, a significant period on, during those last days. There was a significant period of guilt when I was holding them in my bed and just laying with them and like knowing that this was it and that I would have to do it. There was like significant periods of guilt where I just felt bad that like I didn't in those times, I didn't love him the way that he loved me and that it wasn't as recipro- reciprocal as it should have been. Um, and but I was okay with it. I was like, you know, what are the, what are the, uh, positives that you can like, I recognize that, that I'm feeling some guilt and some shame for my past behavior, but what do I have to be, um, grateful for? Well, he got to have five years of recovery time with me. He got to move out of the big city in Tampa, Florida and up to the top of a mountain and have some freedom for the last five years of his life. He got to run around the mountain and do whatever the fuck he wanted, right? <laughs> like he had all of these things. He had a ton of love um, those last five years of his life. And, you know, I was able to do it, you know, and 
it, five years ago, two years ago, three years ago, I'd have been a fucking mess. A fucking mess. But what's the reality? The reality is the dog is 14 years old. He was my best friend, and I loved the shit out of that dude. But I am f- great fortunate that he lived that long. A big 100-pound bulldog to live to be 14 years old? Like, not many people get to have that type of experience. And so, like, I was, throughout all the chaos, I was able to just, like, hone in on um, accepting the the circumstances that, like, Steve is not in control of the situation, right? Steve, Steve is not, it's not a, the, this, this situation does not revolve around what Steve wants. It's destined to happen. And I was able to like really like authentically fucking lay there and love on that dude until it was time to go. And like, I, I seriously wouldn't have been able to do that a few years ago. Um, and then some other like significant, some other death within like the same couple weeks, like, um, and loss and stuff. So it was just like a compounding thing, like all at once, but like, it's all good. The shit does not define me. I totally get that. Like, not that just that there's going to be like these highs and lows of life, but there's going to be like fucking tsunamis coming, (laughs) right? Life's trying to catch me slipping, but guess what? I got the skills. I got a toolbox. I got my meditation practice. I got my fellowship. I got my my people. I got my podcast and people to talk to. Like, yeah. the shit ain't. It ain't the end of the world. It's not. It's not a big deal. It's. It was a moment of like recognition that like, if I can get through all this bullshit that just happened, it's just like accept it and tolerate that it sucks know that it sucks and tolerate that it sucks that I can get through the next 70 or 40 or 50 years of my life (laughs) you know like it's all good the shit ain't gonna define me I I just can't you know well I'm definitely gonna put you on my list of people to call because that's um I don't have children but I have two dogs and they're my babies so I'm gonna keep you on my list of people to call if something ever happens to them Cause I don't know, cause they are my, yeah. We've had one since he was like an itty bitty, like that with it in the palm of your hand, mm-hmm. and the other one we've had her since she was a year old, yeah. and, and she's my spazzy star dog. But yeah, yeah but they are my dogs, and they're like my babies, and yeah. yeah I don't have kids; they're my babies. Yeah, that's how my I saw my dogs are too, and I, yeah. I called one of my friends. I I did have like a I did get emotional you know i was upset one night and i was petting him stuff holding him crying and i called one of my friends just to like talk you know just and it was like one o'clock in the morning and she told me something that i just didn't never thought about before and what she said was that like and i think i said this a few weeks ago with, with caleb but um what she said was that like in the timeline the spectrum of your life right relationships come and go personal romantic family all of the above people come people go people pass there's not a constant right every single relationship in your life will come to an end right but in your dog's life you were the only thing that he loved in his timeline in the spectrum of his life it was just you you were there for the entire thing right because the same thing i had him since he was this little tiny puppy grew to a 100 pound bulldog like 
And it really like brought some clarity into the situation that like, you're fucking right. Like, yeah, even though I put him through all that stuff, <laughs> I was the only thing I was there. For. So like, I guess like these, these dogs like have it made because they get like, they get somebody to love. <laughs> like here we are like out here, like looking for it from various people. And it's just like, yeah, just get it. I just want to be reincarnated as a dog, man. That's <laughs> what I always say that when I come, when I die, I want to come back as one of my dogs. For real, man. Because he, our dog Rocket is spoiled, right? And hey, yeah, he lays up. Yeah, that dog, that dog doesn't, he doesn't know what cold feels like. He doesn't know what hot feels like. <laughs> he's lived in the house his whole life. He gets all of his toys. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, he's, he's bolt. But you know what? It's all right today because... What's also interesting is we got our dogs after we got clean. So mm-hmm. our dogs have never been around us using. And our dog Rocket actually cannot stand the smell. If somebody comes to our house and like, and we ha- and it smells like alcohol, mm-hmm. like he goes freaking nuts. He cannot stand it. And that's like a testimony to the fact that our dogs or one dog has never seen, been around us using and the other dog. Her previous owner I got was a friend in the fellowship who had relapsed and couldn't keep her. So there's no telling what she saw the first year of her life. But with us, she's been spot rot and they sleep in the bed and they get all the toys and treats and food they want and they just spot rot and you know and that's you know that's what they're about. They're my they're my dogs. They're my babies. But you know, like you said, they have a short lifespan, but they get they have a pretty good life. I will say they. I don't know if he thinks he has a good life, but I think he has a pretty good life. Sure he does. When I when I had to do it, there was definitely like there was no hesitation. There was no um it was pure relief, you know. It was pure relief that it was just time for yeah. sure. How do you, you know, in this I mean you said 2012, 2011, how do you continue to like challenge yourself? Again, take the accountability piece out of it. How do you check? How do you continue to challenge yourself to to continue to grow and to continue to like? For me, it's because I have been miserable in recovery, and I don't want to be that today. And I've watched people, I've seen others like stop doing things and then go back and be miserable. And I don't want to do that today. So for me, it's I always try to find. It's it's easy to get in their ruts, but I try to try like switch it up. Like um, this year, like I've always said, I've been saying for a couple of last years, I want to try another like recovery thing out, and I actually went and did it one night. Now it's not probably gonna be my thing, mm-hmm. but but I tried it. Yeah, you know, and and it's about challenging my like finally doing things. Like, but I was grateful that I tried it and can say, you know what? I tried that. I don't really think it's come, that's, that's not really where I feel like I fit, but you know, I, I tried it. And that's funny. Um, cause probably the next thing I'm, I'm eventually going to try is, 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 is probably refuge recovery. Cause I've been saying that pre since I heard about it. I've been wanting to try it out. So, but eventually, you know, try different things. Um, I switch up, go to different, go to different meetings. I also try to get involved, like. I've been getting involved in a little bit bigger on some different levels of service. So I'm interacting with different people because mm-hmm. I, um, I feel like especially being in a small area, it's good to get around different people after a while. Cause after a while, you know, everybody, you get tired of hearing everybody's shit. 
I just have to get around different people. Same same things to different people, and it makes a difference. And I just I just really because today like I enjoy my life. Like I don't ever want to go back to where I was. Like I don't ever want to go back to where I was locked in my own head in the pits of hell, completely had no hope, completely miserable. You know, I was 22 years old, and I was pretty sure I was going to die. I didn't know when I was going to die, but I figured I was going to die using, and that's, and I was okay with it. Like, I had come to terms at 22 that I was going to die using. Like, that is a sad, like, looking back, like, that is so sad. Like, I'm, now I'm 30 and didn't think I'd ever make it to 30. <laughs> didn't prepare to make it to 30. So, words of wisdom out there, youngins. Take care of your credit. <laughs> Do some things. Like, you probably will live a lot longer than you think. Well, technology these days will keep you alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Facebook will come back to haunt you. <laughs> Good old memories. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did they ever start that? I was uh, fortunate enough to, like, avoid social media until I found recovery. I was, like, one of those anti-social media guys. I, I fucked around on Twitter all the time. I, I like Twitter for, um, like, I don't know, news and things like that, like, that just, like, Facebook doesn't get boggled down with. Um, but I stayed I stayed off of all the social media platforms. I was just, like, one of those anti-social media guys until what brought me to it was that I found out that Refuge Recovery had all these groups and had all they shared so much information on facebook and that was the only reason why um why i why i joined it was that and then here we are <laughs> broadcasting a damn podcast on there yeah well i think it's funny because like i never have been a real big poster post like mm-hmm. post on facebook like i don't post like a lot either like i have facebook i keep it so i can keep in touch with my family that's not in the same state and see pictures of stuff and keep in contact and definitely use it. Um, definitely started getting more involved with like the, I guess the statewide more peer support people. So I'm on some of those different groups and seeing different things, which is interesting. Sometimes it pisses me off. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, for, you know, I try for me, like I didn't do a whole lot. So I'm glad that there, I'm glad Facebook wasn't as a big as a deal as it is now. And I'm so glad there was no live streaming when I when I was <laughs> using, because um, I'm sure we would have done some live streaming and that would have been embarrassing as hell. So like I'm so grateful that that did not exist, huh? It could have been, but probably not. Like I'm so grateful that like and like we really weren't like the most savvy tech people. So like pictures, but there wasn't a whole lot of videos ever got. I'm really grateful for that. Like, and I'm so grateful that my my way younger days like internet like because i didn't get facebook until i came to college and then i didn't really get on it like i i didn't post i posted a few things but it's not like a whole lot like i didn't post every because also because at one point then my mom got facebook i didn't want Uh-oh. my mom to see so i stayed off of it a lot and my family members had facebook so i didn't want them to see so i just like kind of stayed off of it so i'm grateful for that we're gonna be starting a new refuge recovery meeting um and probably when we get back from the Pacific coast, like mid July. So once we do that, I'll let you know. Cause currently we meet on Sunday nights and it just hasn't really been working out. So we're looking for a new location and a new, um, time day, uh-huh. day of the week and time probably. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll let you know, like when something like that comes up, I would also like, if that's something that you're interested in, just like seeing what it's like the damn astral 
groups have it going on over at Urban Dharma in downtown. They get it's it it would be worth a trip over there if y'all are you know that's something that you'd be. I have to try it out because I'm always I, and for me like I try not to. For me, for my for my recovery, I try not to like get stuck in the same thing. Like I always like to try different things and see because I feel like we can always learn from each other. Yeah. Like I feel like there's always different things to learn. Yeah. And like I've gone to different recovery in general, and and that's the thing. I think some of it comes from being a peer support because like I've had to have like a peer support brain, and then like my like how I got clean brain, like the program I got clean in. But my recovery when I go to work. Like some of those values can't don't overlap. Yeah. Like what I do as a peer support is not what I would tell somebody I'm working with as a peer is not what I'd tell somebody that I'm sponsoring. Yeah. Like that's what I tell people. I'm like, I like have two brains. Like what I tell to you as my sponsee, I probably would not say that to somebody I'm working with. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> it's the same thing in the recovery circles, no matter what like pathway it is that you choose, but like the same thing that's happening like societally is that like we we're like stuck in these tribal mentalities where we like see we can notice and recognize the differences. Right? Yeah. Like you guys do this, we do that. You guys do this, Democrats, Republicans, left, right, whoever. Like it, it's so easy for us to to point out and to identify the difference is, but like through talking to people, building these connections on this podcast, it has opened me up to like, look at the similarities. What are the similarities between like my fellowship and yours? Well, fuck, we're right. We're in recovery. (laughs) You know, we're uh, uh, a major principles are all the same, right? They're all the the spiritual principles are like identical to like what, to what we do. We're all there for the fellowship, for the support of each other. Like there's so much in common, but we don't, and it's, it's in any, any, uh, recovery group, but there's so much in common, but we just choose to like identify the differences. I think a lot of it also comes from the fact that I got, when I got clean in this area, there wasn't a lot of meeting. So if you wanted to go to a meeting every day, you had to go to different fellowships. Yeah. So early on, my sponsor taught me a meeting is a meeting, no matter where so you're you got at. a little taste of what was available here yeah, early it, on. Yeah. It was like, there wasn't a whole lot other than like the two main ones, but like, if you wanted a meeting every night and you didn't want to travel 30, 45 minutes, you had to go to just a different fellowship. Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned a meeting is a meeting, no matter where I'm at. And I think that gets lost a lot of times, especially when I talk to people like from Asheville, like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, a meeting is a meeting because like I live in Western North Carolina and we don't have a meeting sometimes every night of the week, or sometimes I can't make those meetings because of work, like, or stuff coming up, you know, like this is how life is out here. We kind of just have to go where the where the meetings are, you know, and I think that really had made me more, I guess, open minded to different things because it wasn't like I could just stay over here in this one little fellowship, and we all also being that our community is so small, we all kind of know each other anyway. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover because people need they need a meeting, and there's not one of their like. Um, if there's not one of their general Pacific fellowship, they're most likely maybe come to you or meet him because I need a meeting, you know, like that's how it works out here. And I, I feel like sometimes the bigger city people get, it gets lost on, yeah. but I'm also personally been trying to check my own attitudes about things because as somebody with my recovery background, 
I have felt like in a lot that the recovery movement and people who are involved in the recovery movement, especially in the Western part, like West of Asheville, don't, I don't fit in with it. Does that make, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like because of my path, my path is not really acceptable to some of the people who are, who are part of the, who are the bigger faces of the movement out here. Mm-hmm. So I've been really been trying to check my attitude about that too. I mean, like, nah, I belong. And no matter what anybody says, I belong because I'm in recovery. Yeah. No matter what. And so, so yeah, period. Like I'm, so like, I've been trying to really check my attitude with that too. And also, but also being like, don't, don't, not letting that like self exclude myself. No, you know, because even if I don't particularly like, so I've been trying to like push myself out, even when maybe I don't, wouldn't feel the most welcome. I still make myself go. Yeah. And I'm surprised. So I'm surprised a lot. So, and it's because a lot of it, it's also my own internal stuff too get to judging people and get to making judgments of others. So yeah, the first four years of sobriety, like I was in my bubble, right? <laughs> I found something that worked. I held on to it really tight because it worked. I experienced relief, got out of my head, experienced some life, right? <laughs> I didn't want to go out cause it worked. It, I, I stayed in my bubble talking to people, this podcast and stuff. Now I look at it and like, I don't care what room I'm in. There's something in there to teach me. Somebody's in there to teach me something. There's something for me to learn. There's a skill that I can apply to my life that will allow me to continue to grow and to be a better person, a better member of our community and all that jazz, you know, but it wasn't like that in the beginning. It was not like that in the beginning. What do you think about the, um, online stuff like the in the rooms are you familiar with any of that stuff the online phone meeting kind of stuff i haven't done a lot i no. in the rooms i've i've i saw it when it like kind of first came out but yeah. i haven't i don't know like for me i still more like the face to face like yeah, sure i know it's out there and i definitely encourage people to seek it out yeah but I haven't really done a whole lot of it i asked because like when i first moved up here refuge recovery was so new that they only had meetings in like California and maybe in like Miami. So like there weren't any options. So like for the first two years, all I did was phone meetings. That's all I did. And like what I noticed in doing that, my, my mentor, my sponsor, we call him mentors. My men, my sponsor was online or like out of state, not face to face. But what I learned from, from doing so many of those meetings, cause I was doing one like almost every day was that, um, because a refuge is not an anonymous organization. So like that's, they're very open and public about what they do, but it, it created a layer of authenticity because people felt more comfortable. Like there was some, there was more real work being done in those meetings, more honesty, more authenticity because nobody, because of the anonymous piece that's, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like it wasn't, it was, it was like a thousand percent anonymous because you have no idea. It's, it was 1-800, the conference call deal. Like yeah, there was no face to face kind of thing. So it like added a layer of, um, of honesty of like work and sharing and things like that, that like was missing from some of the face to face meetings. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just, I never tried it, but um, I know a lot of people who have. Like you said, I feel like I don't, I'm not against it. And I actually really encourage um, 
I really encourage people um, to try out, try them out. Like I knew I had a, a sponsee sister who, because of her job, did not feel comfortable going coming to mm-hmm. meetings in the area at all. And that's where she got most of her meetings were from online meetings. And like I don't, I haven't tried it. I've been there was something online I was going to look at doing. Um, I can't remember what it was, but like for me, I hate to say it a lot of times is I forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like for me, it's that it, I haven't done it, but I'm not against it. And I, I do look at some things like, um, like web, like po- podcast or like different, like oh, NC raw, <laughs> NC raw or like different things to, to learn different things. Cause there's a lot, a lot of times maybe cause we do live in a rural area. Maybe I can't go to this, but I can watch the webinar on it or I can, you know, watch the Ted talk or like I do a lot of, I'm a huge documentary person too. So like, I like to watch a lot of like stuff and, but yeah, I just haven't really ever tried online meetings, but, um, I know they're out there. What's next for you? I, I don't know. Um, I keep, um, I keep saying that eventually, um, I'm going to go back and get my master's degree. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Say it again. I, I couldn't hear you. You kind of trailed off. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying I'm going to go back and get my master's degree. I know the program I want to go into, but I'm a lot of self doubt. Like I hold myself back because one of my biggest struggles is writing, um, especially papers and stuff. And I know that's mostly all master's degree is. And I I always say and this is a very this is a very negative thing to say. I always say I'm not I'm not sure if I'm smart enough. I know, I know I can do the book work. I know I can do like the test and I can probably get the concepts, but um, that is something that I have always struggled is getting my thoughts out on paper. Um, so like I definitely, if I went back, I definitely like my, in my undergrad, I definitely did not take any help from any type of like learning center, learn the writing center. And I had to go there for Western from some of my classes. I never took advantage of it. I never did any of that. I was not was definitely not one for any help, but today, like if I went back, it would definitely I know it'd be a serious mm-hmm. endeavor, and I also know today I'm more willing to ask for help. Yeah, and there's so many resources like available. Yes. Yeah, and that's like I know I would take I would be more willing to do it now, but also so also for me it's a matter of finances because I'm in I I went to Western for four years completely. Mm-hmm. Complete full financial aid and out of state tuition, mm-hmm. and so I have mm. a large, I have a very large debt mm-hmm. of student loans from my undergrad. But I did find, um, I have found a program that I feel like would be worth it because another thing I looked at too was, well, if I get my master's degree, I have to take on more debt to get a master's degree. Would it be worth it to do it? Well, for me personally, online is not worth it. The money money to the thing but there's a few programs around here I, i'm really i really think about the etsg program yeah. they have a three i think it's a three no they have one they used to have one that was just for no they have a three a three-year program for people who have a undergraduate that's not in social work but it's for people who work so they only have classes like one day a week and mm. stuff like that and it's and because they have their and they use a Lenore Wine campus. Yeah. So they actually get in-state tuition through them. So in North Carolina, you get in-state. 
Um, and so I thought about that. And I've also looked at, I also like them because you don't, you don't have to take the GRE. So I really like that too. And I've looked at Westerns too, which you have to take the GRE to take to get into Western social work program, yeah. master's level program. But I, th- I think for me, um, that probably for me would be the next, I don't know if that would be the next step. I think, um, I kind of miss doing a little bit more direct service. You know, I do direct service now. I miss being able to work with people more long-term and build those relationships and help people like do more of the other stuff other than housing. So I don't know, but I did make a commitment that I would probably ride this out to the settlement, to the settlement out. Cause I really love what I do. Okay. Um, and I've been doing it for such a while that the settlement should come to end in 2021. So we'll see. It's right around the corner, dude. I know. So that's what I'm saying. I might as well just ride it out. Yeah. Just ride it out and yeah. see what happens. I just say if there was a, there's a few things that if it comes down from the state that they're going to do, I'm out. Like, I'm <laughs> piecing. Like, y'all can deal with that work. I ain't even dealing with it. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, but I don't know. Like, I've, I don't know. I, know. I just know there's a lot of, um, I look around and there's a lot more opportunities for peer supports. And there's a lot more appreciation for peer support than when, even when I first got my job. And um, there's a lot, and who knows what's in a few years what's going to happen. Like, I know, like, um, they're doing a lot of stuff over in Asheville, Sunrise, Recovery, doing a bit, like, doing a lot. They had their own respite, like, peer respite. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, there's a big movement in the state to get more of that peer-run organizations and stuff like that. So, like, who knows where I'll end up? Like I don't, I don't really know. I'm not really putting, I'm not really putting a limit on that. Like, and I'm, um, something that Jenny says, like, because Jenny has done the same job, the same like work for a long time. Me, I'm, I skipped around. I did it till I found a spot I liked. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm willing to do that. That's and, important. Yeah, I'm, and I'm willing to do that. You know, like I'm willing to. Fine, like if something comes up and I want to try the opportunity, I'll I'll do it, you know, because you never know. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I just I know that um, one thing for me is I like the mountains. I'm gonna stay in Western North Carolina. Hell yes. This is my home. This is where I made my home. You know, some people want to travel. Some people want to live in big cities. Y'all can have it. I did some training in Raleigh um, a couple of weeks ago. I went. It took me an hour to go 23 miles. Y'all yeah. can y'all can keep that. This is like the perfect place to live <laughs> because we're li- we are in the mountains. Yeah, but we're still like 45 minutes from a decent sized like, city. Yeah. anything that you need, you know. So like it's like almost the best of both worlds. Well, then that's why I like it because I grew up. I was closer to to Savannah from where I grew up. I grew up across the river, so I was about maybe 15 20 minutes from Savannah. So I'm used to living in the country. And then going to the city. Gotcha. So here, um, it's a little bit farther. Like definitely, Hardyville definitely farther than Savannah is from from. Like here is definitely farther to Asheville. But I like the fact that I can do a day trip to Asheville and go to the mall. But when I come home, I don't have to deal with Asheville's problems. Yeah. I can come back to my nice little cove area I live at, mm-hmm. my dogs, and just chill. Like I don't have to deal with it. And people laugh at me because um, one of my jobs, they always said, when are you moving to Buncombe County? And I said, there's not enough money in the world for me to move to Buncombe yeah. County. There's not. I wouldn't, like, no. Me too. I was like, mm I'm good. I grew up, like, I like where I live. I've lived in the, I've been in the same house 
going on. Actually, it's going on. This August will be seven years. I live in the same spot. My dogs are happy. They can be dogs. I can let them out. They can run. It's great. Like, I don't have no plans of moving anywhere. And I'm happy. And I know, I'm, I know some people want to move and people want to like go different. I'm, I'm like, that's great. But for me, this is where I feel like at home. This is where I like it. I like the people. I like the the communities. I like I like working with the people in the communities. Like I enjoy it. Um, so I, I, I plan on staying at least here. I don't know where what job I'll be doing. I don't know where I'll be living at. Um, but I know I'll be here. I know I like. I've lived in Jackson County now, going on twelve years. I came here to Western and I stayed. You stayed. Not many students do that. Which, I mean, for me, when I graduated, it was 2011 and everything had tanked. Yeah. Everything yeah. tanked. There was no more opportunity here as it was back home. So I just stayed, well. I just stayed because I had a roommate. She had a job. <laughs> she had a job. I stayed and I got clean and I stayed because I was like, because I know for me, living with my family would be, would be one of the worst things I could ever do for my recovery. I tell people I live I live five hours from my family for a reason. I love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm so excited to see them, but I'm really grateful that I can I get in my car and I drive, and they're not down the road. <laughs> they are five hours away. Yeah, but I love that. And but it's it's nice, and I'm ex- I'm excited to be able to go see them and and be able to be there because that is my mint for them. Because there was yeah. many things I missed out on that I just didn't go home for. So I'm grateful for that. Well, listen, Kelly, I appreciate you coming on. Yes. I hope you have a wonderful trip down there. Yes. Right. No matter what your mind's telling you, <laughs> you deserve this vacation. Yeah. And so I, uh, I'm i grateful to call your friend and I'm grateful to have you on and, you know, we'll do it again sometime soon. Okay. Cool? Cool. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys later. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a very special thank you to the Comfort Inn of Silva, North Carolina for providing this recording space for us today and every week. Uh, The Comfort Inn is a recovery ally and they support community-based organizations like NC Raw. They're located at 1235 East Main Street, Silva, North Carolina, and also part of the Choice Hotels chain. So you can visit choicehotels.com to see what they got going on. Book a room if you're visiting the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina. I would highly suggest popping in, showing them some love, staying the night, whatever. Thanking them for supporting us and supporting NC Raw. Thank you guys for tuning in.